Just look to the Lord now in prayer who will supply all of his people's needs. And what greater need have we than his Holy Spirit, the dependence upon God to teach us and to write his word large upon our hearts here this night. Let us pray. Oh, Father, we bow before thee. And as our Saviour has said, without me ye can do nothing. The preacher cannot utter a word for good. The listener cannot receive, except, Lord, thou bless the heart. Open up the heart, the mind, the understanding. Oh, Lord, I pray that thou wouldst speak, as it were, from heaven, by thy word to our souls individually and corporately here this night. But above all, O Lord, in the hearing of thy word. Lord, may we have those contrite hearts, a broken spirit, and may thou be glorified. Come and bless us. Own this hour for thy name's sake. Encourage our hearts. Exhort us in the way of truth. And all for the glory of thy name. Help this poor stammering tongue now. I ask it, Father, in thy blessed Son's name and for his sake. Amen. Well, dear congregation, I invite you now to please turn your prayerful attention there to that passage that I read to you in your hearing earlier in the book of Ecclesiastes, the chapter 7. And with the Lord's enabling this evening, I wish to take for my text the words found in the verse 14. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. God also hath set the one over against the other to the end that man should find nothing after him. May the Lord grant his blessing that maketh the soul rich and addeth no sorrows. We read here of days. Our days are all given to us by Almighty God. They're a gift of God. We have several things before us in this particular verse. We have, first of all, set before us the absolute sovereignty of God. God orders every single minute, not only of our days, but of the days of this world, of generation after generation, every day, every minute, Every hour is ordained. All things are taking place according to God's eternal decree. Now, I know that very often, in some circles, the sovereignty of God is something very much avoided. But it is never to be avoided in the Church of God. We believe in an absolute sovereign God who orders our moments, who orders our days. 
has given us time. We know from Ecclesiastes chapter 3, as we read there, Solomon sees everything, as it were, under heaven, not so much under the sun, but under heaven, under heaven's decree, under God's decree, there is a thing, there is a season to everything, there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time for everything. God has decreed everything that happens in time. Our moments and our days are all decreed by God. And yet how short time is. We are told by the psalmist, the oldest psalm possibly, Psalm 90 verse 12 there, Moses says, as he prays to God, teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Our days are numbered. Teach us to number our days. We number things that are important to us, don't we? We count our money. We count our children. We count our grandchildren. We count things that are precious. And time is very precious. And what an empty vapour it is, as we sometimes sing. Time, what an empty vapour it is. And days, how swift they are. Swift as an Indian arrow flies. Or like a shooting star. The present moments just appear. Then slide away in haste. And we can never say they hear. But only say they're past. Our life is ever on the wing. And death is ever nigh. The moment when our lives begin. We all begin to die. The last time I was with you. was a little while. And how quick that time has passed. We're one day nearer to our day when we will meet the Lord. How quick time is. And maybe we've gone through difficult times. Maybe we've had some very hard times. Days, as we read there, of adversity. We've maybe had days that are joyful. And yet we're told here, God has set the one over against the other. Again, I emphasize in the first place, God sets the days, the day of adversity, over and against the day of prosperity. If life were all joy, we would never know God's hand and his strength. We would never know the God of all comfort. We would never know how faithful God is. Thank the Lord for those days of sorrow, those days of adversity. And thank the Lord that he also gives us days of joy. The Lord mixes, does he not, the bitter with the sweet. But here in the first place, the absolute sovereignty of God, ordered in everything, by his eternal decree. decree. Now, as I said, there is sadly a resistance, even in our reformed circles, when we speak of the sovereignty of God, the absolute sovereignty of God, not just in all things, but particularly in salvation. And many believers today are saying something like this. Well, it puts unbelievers off. But they forget at least four things. 
If we deny God his sovereignty, we deny the truth. The truth is God is sovereign. God has decreed whatsoever should ever come to pass. And that should never put us off. We should be thankful that we are here in his house. Were it not for God's sovereignty, my friends, we'd be in that pub across the road or we'd be somewhere else tonight. It is of God's mercy that we are bowing the knee and believing upon Jesus Christ. You see, you can't change and I cannot change the truth about God. God says, I will do all my pleasure. Job says, whatsoever his soul desireth, that he doeth. Whatever God desires in his word, he does. God has decreed. God has determined. And you can't change, and you and I can't change God's declared truth also about man. Man can never come to God were it not of his sovereign decree, were it not of the mighty, insuperable work of his Holy Spirit. We are told, are we not, in Romans 8, Paul says, by the Spirit, the carnal mind is enmity with God. It's not subject to God, it's not subject to his will, to his law, neither indeed can it be. So those that are in the flesh cannot please God. You see, God's sovereignty however, makes all the difference, doesn't it, to our lives. As I say, nobody would ever be saved. We'd all be lost had God not stepped in and broken into our lives. We read in Micah chapter 2, and I believe you have it in your Gatsby hymn book as well, I preached this last Lord's Day on Christ the Breaker. That is what he's called in the Old Testament, in Micah chapter 2, he breaks into our lives and he comes and he, he disrupts us. We were once, like Paul, dead in trespasses and sins. The apostle Paul was once Saul of Tarsus. On that road, was he not to Damascus, going to persecute the church of Jesus Christ. But the Lord stopped him in his tracks and brought him to know himself. My friends, the sovereignty of God, let me say as well, for the believer, is one of the greatest ballasts for the soul, is it not? You consider those mighty ships in former centuries that crossed from Plymouth to America. Do you know what they had deep down in the bottom of those ships? Barrels of water to keep them stable, to keep them from toppling over amongst the wide heaving seas. And so it is. What is the ballast for the soul, for the believer? God is on his throne. God has determined everything. Our days of joy and prosperity as well as our days of sorrow and adversity. Isn't that a wonderful thing? What do we all deserve, my friends? We all deserve nothing. 
In fact, we all deserve God's wrath. But God in his mercy broke in Christ the breaker, broke into our lives, broke into our hearts. God interfered with us. He quickened us, made us alive, translated us out of the kingdom of darkness and put us into the kingdom of the Son of his love. That's God's mercy. And so here, first of all, set before us, as you notice, God is over all days and over all things. In that Psalm 46, it's a tremendous psalm. The psalmist sees this calamity in all the world. Trouble, wars, tumults, death, decay. And right in the midst of that psalm, the psalmist is describing everything that is taking place in this world. And yet God breaks in, in the middle of that psalm, verse 10, God says, Be still and know that I am God. Be, not, be still and know that I am God. Am God. He continues to be God. In the midst of this world's trouble, and my friends, this world has to end. Because God would be a cruel and a wicked God to allow all the sin to carry on in this world, wouldn't he? He would be an unjust God to allow this world to continue to spiral. As it is, we are told by the Lord Jesus the love of the many toward the Saviour's coming into the world shall wax cold. Why? Because iniquity, he says, shall abound. In this world, it is increasingly abounding. And we may face great sorrows, but friends, there is an end. There is an end. You notice in verse 1 of this chapter, what does Solomon by the Spirit say? A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. And that tells us that this life is riddled with trouble, isn't it? Man, we're told by Job, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Job 5 verse 7. Though affliction, he says, cometh not forth of the dust. And remember, man was made from the dust. Neither doth trouble spring out of the ground. Yet man, who was, by the way, made of the dust, is born unto trouble. And as the sparks fly upward, why? Because of the heart. Do we not? Are we not? I suppose sometimes our worst enemy. We have the world. We have the devil. And there's the flesh. Job certainly had his troubles. We all have our troubles. We read here how God made, look at the, at the end of this chapter, verse 29, Lo, this Solomon has discovered, I have found that God hath made man upright, that is, he made him in his image, yet they have sought out many inventions. Man has tried to 
either wiggle his way out of sin or he's made other gods, he's invented other gods. We know that the minute Adam and Eve sinned, they began to blame everything on each other. And we often do this even as Christians, sadly, don't we? So better, isn't it, the day of our death than the day of our birth. That is, especially if we've been born again. If we have received by the grace of God that new birth, how wonderful it is when we pass through the regions of death itself. The very one, the first one whom we will meet is life. And we shall have and enter into that glorious new heavens and new earth one day with a renewed body. But the moment we die, the day of our death, what a blessed day that will be. Better then the day that we were born. Yes, our days are troubled, but it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. But if we are Christ's, there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Jesus Christ. But friends, notice verse 2. Solomon, he continues on this subject of death, to the funeral, to the house of mourning. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting, why? For because that is the end of all men and the living will lay it to his heart. Across the road, as you know, as I've already referred to, there is the pub. There are people, no doubt, if it's still there, I'm not sure, laughing, joking, getting inebriated. And we'd be there, wouldn't we? Were it not of the grace of God? But we're brought here to the house of God to hear his word to mourn over our sins. And even maybe when you go to someone's funeral, it causes you to think, does it not, that there is an end. We're told, aren't we, in Proverbs 23, 17, Envy thou not sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord, for there is an end, and thine expectation shall not be cut off. Child of God, there's an end to this world. These people that laugh and drink, and they have a headache in the morning. And uh, they say things about each other. It's a sorrowful life, isn't it? The world tells you, reward yourself with a drink. It's more like punishment. It's foolish, isn't it? The laughter of fools is like, Solomon says, the crackling underneath a pot. It's soon is silenced. But friends, every day is given to us by God. And God in his goodness has determined us to give us, have a look at the text, days of prosperity. Now what are we to do in the day of prosperity? It's a command. Be joyful. Isn't that wonderful? God tells us, be Joyful. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice. This is written here to believers, to those who know the grace of God that is in Jesus Christ. And God has given you everything. Why should you rejoice? Because everything we have comes from the hand of God. Our grandchildren, our homes, our families, church members. We may be missing a few. And we should rejoice when they're with us. And we do. 
but we also miss them and we long to be with them we thank the Lord for the things that he has given us we thank the Lord for health for strength we must never take these things for granted we never take our health our strength even our friends for granted it teaches us to be thankful the Puritans used to say you know if we have trouble praying what should we do? Begin with thanks. Count your blessings. Every time we go to pray, realize we deserve nothing. Realize we deserve God's wrath. We deserve his anger forever, do we not? We deserve to be in his angry presence. That's what hell will be like. But God has given us grace and mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if he has given us that the scriptures say and no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly them that fear him Paul tells us God spared not his son that is his only begotten son but delivered him up for us all how will he not also along with him freely give us all things all things in life we need you know we must rejoice in the day of prosperity. Now it doesn't simply mean here prosperity in terms of the physical realm. But when things are well, when things are well in the church and things are well at home and we must never forget to give thanks to God. So often we have unthankful hearts. I know I'm guilty of this. I'm sure you are. We're often, often so unthankful to God. Do we thank God? And do we rejoice in the Lord in the day of prosperity? Be joyful. Rejoice in the Lord. Yet Jacob, just before he was about to meet Esau, you remember Esau coming with his 400 men? And there is Jacob, Genesis 32, 9, we read, and Jacob said he's praying to God, he says, Oh God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which said unto me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. Do we feel that way, same way as Jacob? Has God not dealt with us kindly? Do we not rejoice in God's benevolent character? Think of how good he's been to us. Think of the sins we've committed other people don't know about. And yet he knows how gracious God has been. Do we thank the Lord for his many mercies and many blessings? We are so slow to rejoice. In fact, Paul tells us to rejoice. It is a command in Scripture. To rejoice in the Lord. To thank Him. You know, often we feel, we forget that we don't deserve anything. One of our greatest sins is to give thanks to God for all that He's given us in our lives. And what is even beyond in the life to come. What He has promised us. What has God promised us? A home in heaven. 
The Lord Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. Wrath is not ours. We have a home in heaven, a saviour that loves us if we love him. The psalmist says in Psalm 107 verse 8, Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. You go to talk to some people that have very little. And often, you know, they show us up how thankful they are. They have the Lord. I remember hearing a story about an old Scottish woman. Uh, she had very poor health. She lived in the highlands. And the minister would often go and see her. And she had no, no food. She was longing for his visit. He'd come about every two weeks. And he saw her. And he walked in. He said, do you have any food, ma'am? He said, yes, I have. She said, yes, I have. She said, what do you have? She said, I have some bread here. And I have some of the fruit of the vine. She said, I have Christ. I have everything. But have you any other food? No, ma'am. She said, but I have everything. I have Christ. He is mine. And I am his. Can we live in such a way? Do we live with thankful hearts? We should be joyful if we're saved. We're not going to hell. Our sins are forgiven. We should be joyful if we have brothers and sisters in the Lord who love us and pray for us. These are days. But then, notice, over and against this, but in the day of adversity. What does he say? Does he say, be sad? No, he doesn't say be sad. One would expect that, wouldn't if we followed the, the ordinary train of thought. In the day of adversity, be sorrowful. No! That is not what God says. What does he say? He says, consider. Stop. Think. Things are difficult. But things are hard. What do we do? Consider that God has set the one over against the other. In other words, God has determined it. Just as he's determined the days of sorrow for you and I, like Jacob. Remember when Jacob said, all these things are against me? Jacob was to consider. Jacob was to consider his God. Times of trial, times of difficulty. Stop and think. God is on his throne. God has set the one day over and against the other. What are we to consider? We are to consider, first of all, our ways. Is there a reason for this? Now, Granted, not always when there's trouble. It's not always our fault, is it? It might be something else. It might be somebody else's sin. It, it, it could be anything. The Lord might be using it to sanctify us. And I'm sure that every trial is. Doesn't James say, the half-brother of our Lord Jesus, consider it all joy when you face many divers 
trials and temptations, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But he said, let patience have a perfect work. Jonah, do you remember? He should have been rejoicing when Nineveh repented. And there he was, sitting, pouting. The king had issued a decree that the people should repent, and the people did repent. Jonah didn't want to go there at first, remember? He tried to run away. And then it was Jonah's trial. Outside the city, God caused the sun to come down upon his head. Do you remember? And then the Lord raised up a gourd, a plant, to give Jonah shade. And then God raised up a worm. And God took away the good. Jonah was angry. We read, God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the good? And he said, I do well to be angry, even unto death. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the good for which thou hast not laboured, neither makest it to grow, which came up in a night, and perished in a night. And should not I spare Nineveh, that great city wherein are more than six score thousand persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle. The Lord was trying to teach Jonah a simple lesson, through that son, his son, and the good, and the word, that Jonah was truly unthankful. He was thinking more about himself. The real lesson was that he didn't delight in the mercy that was shown to Nineveh. He didn't stop to consider in the day of his adversity that God is on his throne. Many years later, you know, God, another generation rose up, did not spare Nineveh. It was destroyed. You see, God is sovereign. What about Asaph? We know about Asaph, don't we, in the Psalm 73. Asaph said, concerning when he, when he considered the wicked, how the wicked prospered. How the wicked seemed to get away with everything in this life. And how they even seemed to die. He says, for there are no bands in their death. That means there's no pain in their death. They don't even seem to have sorrow when they breathe their last. How is it God? That they don't even fear death. But in their death, their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued like other men. And then he says this. When I sought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. He considered. You see, God uses days, times, of adversity 
that we may stop, that we may consider. We're so quick, as we read even in this passage, to judge, aren't we? To assess a situation, and yet sometimes we know very little about things. Just like Asaph, until he came to the house of God. It's time to search, isn't it? Time to pray. Thank the Lord for times of adversity. And we realize that God has set the one day over the other to hurt us, to harm us, heaven forbid, to do us good. He's too wise to err. He's too good to be unkind. If God spared not his only begotten Son, but delivered him up for us all, that is all who believe, would he not also freely give us all things? Do you remember what our Saviour said to the disciples? Thou shalt know thereafter. They didn't understand. But later they understood. Sometimes, you know, we don't understand things, lessons and sermons that we've sat under and passages of the Bible until we've gone through the trials of life. We experience them, don't we? You know, this is not a... We don't believe in textbook Christianity, but experiential living and living under God's grace and living in God's grace. And God, God gives grace, friends, for the day, doesn't he? He gives grace for the trial. Grace sufficient for the day. What does he say? As thy days, so shall thy strength be. Thy feet shall be as brass. The people that went into the promised land, their shoes lasted. We're told their shoes didn't break, perish. Clothes lasted. And God gave them manna. My, I think one of the greatest miracles in all the Bible is how God supplied food for well over two million people in an absolute wilderness for over 40 years. And you work it out by the Omer, over 5,000 tons a day of manna rained down from heaven. And we are told by the psalmist they ate angels' food. And my friends, in our days of adversity, we too may eat angels' food. I mean spiritually speaking. We taste of things that others have never tasted of. We experience the height of God's love. We experience a closeness to God that we never would have known without them. God is good. What does Peter say? He says, Beloved, think it not a strange thing that the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice. You see, when you consider, as Peter says, you can then rejoice. But we have to consider. Often we, we jump to conclusions, don't we? 
Job, what did he say? I look to the left, I look to the right, I can't see him. But he could say, but he knoweth the way that I take. And after he has tried me, I shall come forth as gold. And though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. That is the experience of a Christian. As by experience, he goes through those trials. As by experience, he goes through those days of adversity, as we're told here. God also has set the one over against the other. Our days, our times are in his hand. And all of these things, remember, secondly, consider that the trials are meant to sanctify us. And to conform us to the image of God's dear Son. You know, be concerned when God does not try us. Be concerned when all is well all the time. Satan often attacks the church. We're often few in number. Never be discouraged. What an encouragement it is. And consider this. When others see you, like Job, my, do we not turn to the book of Job, and are we not encouraged? When you see others going on faithfully, is your heart not blessed? Or maybe God is doing something in somebody else's life. By your trial, by your difficulty, lift up your heart, saint, child of God. God is good. What should we do when there's times of adversity? Paul tells the struggling early Hebrew Christians there in Hebrews 10:24, "Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works." They were under great straits, they were under great difficulty. Remember what he said, he said, Recount the former times, he said, when you were made a gazing stock. Many of them were wanting to turn back. What does he mean by you were made a gazing stock? Well, what they used to do to the early Christian Jews, uh, Jewish Christians, was they used to round them up in Jerusalem and they used to mock them. And they used to say, you don't have a temple. You don't have a high priest. You've caused all the trouble here. They were made a gazing stock. They were mocked. They were ridiculed. And Paul even says in that chapter, you helped me in that time. You gave me of your substance. Isn't it true? When we go through trials, often, we look back and we see that there is spiritual improvement in our lives. Isn't there? In those times of difficulty, we, we pray like we've never prayed. We start to read the Word of God like we've never read it. We dig deeper. We're told in that psalm how God's people on the way to Zion, and heavenly Zion, they go through the valley of Baca and they make it a well. That is, they weep many tears. 
And then we read, and each one appeareth in Zion. When you go through trials and difficulties, do you not weep many tears? And you can look back at God strengthening you amidst those trials, in the midst of adversity. What did Job say? The righteous hold on his way. That's God's way. And he said, and he that hath clean hands gets stronger and stronger. Thank God for those days of difficulty. In the day of prosperity, be joyful. But in the day of adversity, consider. Consider this. I seek to draw to a conclusion. There's not much more I can say the Lord would have me say but I'm mindful of the time and while we go through difficulty in this world remember this is not our rest and it's not the end is it the bitterness and the adversity of time make heaven sweeter and we yearn for it more God says of his people in Deuteronomy 32 verse 29, Oh, that they were wise, that they understood this, that they would consider their latter end. You know, when we consider the light at the end of the tunnel, heaven, what are you to consider when you're going through adversity? Your latter end. That's what we read in Proverbs 23, 17. Envy thou not sinners, but be thou in the fear of the Lord. That is, hold him up in high love and reverence and honour. Why? He says, because there is an end. Don't covet the world. Don't covet the wicked. Don't covet the ungodly. Covet the righteous, his ways. Covet good things. There are good things to covet. There are good things, aren't there? Paul says, covet the good gifts. Covet righteousness. But there is an end. And thine expectation shall not be cut off. If we just consider our latter end, our spirits will be lifted. Friends, life is short. And it's fleeting. And there are many Christians, sadly, and even churches trying to take the shortcut. But you see, if we take our eyes off this fact, that God is absolutely sovereign, he's on his throne, he's determined all things, he's determined our salvation, he chose us when? Grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. He said, on this one will I have mercy, and on that one will I have mercy. Jacob have I loved. Not that there was anything lovable, in Jacob. But God chose his love and he loves his choice. And he will be with his people and take them to a blessed end. Job, we could say, had many blessings. He had the blessing as a believer. He had the blessing in the trial. But after the trial, Where is Job now? He's in heaven, enjoying God's presence.
as is Jacob and all the saints. But lastly, let me close with this. What are you to consider? In the day of adversity, consider him, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 12.3 For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Think of it. The one who did no sin had to come into this sin-stinking world for you, child of God. And you consider him when you're down, and you're downcast, and you're low. Consider him. No man has ever known such sorrows as our Lord Jesus Christ. To be forsaken of the Father on the account of you, child of God, to take you to heaven. You consider him lest you be weary and become faint in your mind. Keep keeping on. Walk after Christ. Consider him. And you will know and see him soon. There is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother at all times. Times of joy, when there's prosperity, and in times of adversity, he will be your joy and he will be your strength. Amen.